welcome independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind's shadow citizens. Shadow Citizen will explore the shadows of an alternate reality. Your hosts, Rachel L. McIntosh. We got through another week, everybody. We're here on Shadow Citizen. I'm Rachel L. McIntosh. I'm your hostess. Um, today, I thought I would do something a little different, kind of have a surprise for you guys. I'm always talking about something called entrainment on these shows, and it's hard to explain what the heck entrainment is. And I didn't think I'd want to talk about this at all until last night something strange happened. I got on kind of a, a weird thing on Twitter. And, you know, Twitter's like the worst thing in the world to try to communicate with people, in my opinion. Granted, our president loves Twitter and he's tweeting out stuff all the time. But, um, you know, if you really try to have a conversation with somebody and you're on Twitter, it's not the best mix. Um, and last night I got myself into one of those situations with one of the previous guests on Shadow Citizen Catherine Austin Fitz. And she seemed like she was getting really upset with me. I was like, what the heck's going on? So I was sending her like little, you know, Twitter is very short little snippets of stuff. And then I was sending her video clips of things. And I could tell it was just not gelling. And amazingly, she called me today. She called me at my house. And she says, starts talking about her perspective of the thing. And I had no idea what we were up, what we were discussing was Adam Kokesh and Adam apparently and many of you have probably heard of him um, goes way back to gosh that was what 2007 or 8 the Freedom March Washington DC and um, he made a very moving speech and I had gotten really kind of whipped up about the speech that he'd given because at that time I was working for a defense contractor or had just finished working for a defense contractor. Um, I had just had kids. The father of the children was in the mercenary division of the defense contractor. And there was all sorts of stuff that was coming into my consciousness about American foreign policy and how uh, America does, biz does the business of war. And I heard Adam Kokesh up there. Um, giving an excellent speech, and I just started crying. And then I ended up over at uh, Ron Paul's, uh, he did a political training seminar. And during that political training seminar, they marched out Adam Kokesh, and he did the exact same speech, and equally as moving, it was out of control, and everybody stood up clapping, it was really good. And since that time, I've had opportunity to speak with him and talk to him, and he always seemed like, he was really into the Constitution and he wanted to do the right thing. I know that he ran for, um, I don't know if it was Congress, where he lived and had the backing of Ron Paul on that. Then he did some sort of uh, carrying a gun, an open carry thing. And then he did a dancing at the Lincoln Memorial thing. And it seemed to me he was all about trying to like raise awareness, not necessarily 
to create a new law or something. But I definitely saw a, a, a change of, well, I, you know, I wasn't really paying attention too much about it because I knew it wasn't really going to be a, a political person that I would be involved with. But anyhow, that's what we got all, all in a jumble with last night on Twitter about this guy, Adam Kokesh. And so Catherine, I, it went on the conversation this morning. I asked Catherine if she'd be on the show today. And she said, sure. So here she is with my, out any further ado, Catherine Austin Fitz. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Rachel, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> All right. Thanks. Yeah, I can hear you perfectly. Can you hear me? Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. You, you, you and I, you and I always get going on Twitter and the next thing you know, we have to talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's the great thing about Twitter. You can kind of like talk to people, t- at least touch people that are way above your your pay grade. <laughs> so it's pretty cool. It is pretty cool that way. So let's. Where did you want to start off? Because you had, when we talked on the phone today, you said I had to listen to this thing on Solari Report by Adam Tr- Trombley, and it was about entrainment and subliminal programming. And uh-huh. I listened to it, and I thought, wow. I don't have a TV in my house. I did throw mine out during the 2007 election. And right, but you do have a, you do have something you use to internet access the internet. You probably have a smartphone. Yeah, you may well, not use I, it. I don't use my right. smartphone at all except in emergencies. It's amazing. People are like, how could you not have that thing? I was like, no, I just keep it in the car. Like if I'm going to crash. So, right. <laughs> but it's so, true. So I have I, a computer. Right. So I. My smartphone is in the car. I only use it when I travel. It doesn't actually. It doesn't work where I live. Me neither. Uh, <laughs> right. So, so, but, but it's still coming in on the internet. It still comes in on phones. It still comes in on. Um, actually, you know, if you if you look, uh, I'll never forget once when um, I I don't have wireless, and if I turn on my wireless all around the neighbor, you know, there's nobody around me who has wireless, so nothing comes up. And uh, so I, one day I was focused on the fact that there was no wireless on my wire, whereas when I'm in Silicon Valley, there's like a thousand. Mm-hmm. Um, but my Kindle would still download in my home. And what I realized is, oh, you know, the local AT&T cell tower does mm-hmm. <laughs> still operate in my house. The smart meter still operates in my house. So it's. You know, the surveillance is operating whether I have Wi-Fi or not. But anyway, so these systems all reach us. And I believe that one of the most important dynamics happening now for many years is entrainment technology and subliminal programming. And I was very concerned about the way it was being used for my my subscribers and clients with respect to financial investments. But increasingly, I've become concerned about various forms of addictions which is the you know it's part of surveillance capitalism so pornography video games online gambling all of the and, and big consumers uh consumer purchases you'll see it used you know i described in the uh in the entrainment uh Solari report that we did with adam tromley um i described it being used on us in a conference and the impact it had on the conference and the discussion and there are a lot of movies about this phenomena, so I always find movies helpful. But um, I believe, based on what we've been seeing prototyping around the country, 
that they're taking it to a whole new level, not just with respect to politics, but crowd, um, literally weaponizing the population. So if you watch a movie like The Kingsman or The Cell with John Cusack, it's about it's about using cell phone technology and smartphones to weaponize the population so they literally even get violent. You know, so we're talking about serious mind control technology. And I think one of the most important things we can do, and I, I keep coming back to money just because I focus on that, is understand this stuff exists and make sure when we are making purchases or important decisions, life decisions, you know, where do I go to college? Where do I um, where do I work? That we understand this technology exists and can be used to manipulate us. And it's so strong because I know, you know, more about this than the average bear, but I can get in a room where it's being used and I can literally, you know, forget and find myself doing or saying things. I, I described the story in the, in the Solera report, right? Where I'm listening to this terrible speech and I'm so preoccupied taking notes that I, don't focus for a second. And I suddenly drop my pen and start clapping and saying to the guy next to me, isn't he wonderful? And I was like, no, he's not wonderful. He's terrible. What am I saying? <laughs> so, you know, this stuff is really powerful. Um, the other story I tell in the Solari report is in 1984 of all years, I was sitting on wall street listening to two very powerful, wealthy people talk. And I wasn't supposed to be, Hearing this, you know, it was not a conversation I was supposed to overhear. And um, and they were talking about entrainment technology and subliminal program being rolled out on TVs. Mm -hmm. And it scared me, Rachel. And that from that day forward, I never watched or pretty much owned a TV. I would not let it in the house. And, you know, but the, the problem with digital technology, it's now exploded everywhere. So, you know, it's it. In 1984, I could get away from it by just not having a TV, but now I can't get away from it. So, you know, the question for me is how how do I organize myself to to still make intelligent, responsible decisions and not get tricked, not get fooled? Yeah. Can we just back up just so people get a grip on what entrainment actually is? Because when I talked about it before on the show, um, People, it, it always crops up, you know, because you're like, why do people do this? How come? And you can't, you can't get away from the TV. Like, say you go out to dinner with your family. There's four flat screen TVs in the restaurant. Right. And right. Right. I was out, to, yeah, I was out to dinner with one of my friends, and she goes, these people are so brainwashed. And I said, that's funny you use that word because well, we're looking at all the TV. First of all, you have my permission to put the link up to that to the transcript for that Solera report. Oh, great. Yeah, I will. So, I'll do that. So please feel free to put up that, that link. But the other thing I would recommend, there's a lot of information out on this. Our, our third quarter wrap up is called control 101 mm -hmm. and it's going to go into all of the different mechanisms used to control and manipulate people, including this. But uh, Melissa Dykes, Aaron and Melissa have yep. done some great videos on this technology Melissa's really on a tear. She's like, <laughs> she's she mad about this and she's going to do something. And so I would link to my interview with Adam, but I would also put up some links to some of her really great videos on this topic. And um, because what I'm seeing is, you know, the I sometimes I call the system the tapeworm. Mm -hmm. The way a tapeworm 
the, the, the key to a tapeworm harvesting you and, and a tapeworm can kill you is the tapeworm injects into you a chemical that makes you crave to eat what is good for the tapeworm instead of you. And so suddenly by injecting this chemical into you, you're working for the tapeworm instead of for yourself. Okay. Okay. So the tapeworm literally invades your mind to, to get you to be harvestable. Okay. This technology is that chemical. This is the chemical you put in somebody's mind, you know, to get them to start doing what's good for you. So if I can entrain you while you're online shopping for a new car, I can get you to spend much more than you can afford and much more that you would spend if you weren't influenced by the entrainment. And back okay, to, so, so can, this, so the entrainment itself, it's, <clears throat> it's to be clear, it's not necessarily an outside chemical. It's a frequency or a pulsing of something that excites your brain to give you a chemical to feel pleasure. So here's, what, here's how Adam described it to me because it's a, you know, I think it's a one-two punch. It's called entrainment subliminal programming. Mm-hmm. So, so advertising is full of messages and, you know, a great deal of money is spent to figure out how to make something attractive or enticing. But what entrainment does, if I understand it correctly, is uh, entrainment makes you susceptible to that programming. So, you know how when somebody tells you something and it's really, really true and you know them and you trust them, it resonates. They say something, it makes sense to you, you trust them and you resonate. And that resonation and the more powerful that resonation, the more you will incorporate that into what you believe. So when you just, when you described you yourself crying at that event, it's because you're resonating in a very powerful way. Right. Now, resonation in a natural system will really guide us. That's our emotional intelligence guiding us. What entrainment technology does is it creates a fake resonation. So interestingly enough, the, the first time, I don't know if you've ever been in the presence of a whale. Yes. I have I have never in my life felt a more powerful and beautiful resonance than I was when I was with the whales and dolphins. It was mm-hmm. just amazing. <laughs> when I walked into the to the um to the conference where they were using the entrainment technology that I described to Adam, it felt like a junk synthetic version of the whales. Get out. Really? You could feel that. You yeah. could feel a different yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so you feel this incredible, powerful resonation, and then it opens you to the subliminal programming, and then you would buy things. You know, you would believe things or agree with things that normally you would never agree with. The first time I got onto them using it in conferences, I had had it used on me during the litigation. So, because they'll they'll use it on the phone to get you to like or believe someone, and I had experienced it. It's very powerful. So, so. um when I first read the the transcripts, I couldn't figure out why Wall Street, you know, legitimate analysts on Wall Street had bought into the Enron story. I couldn't figure it out. And I uh, I got somebody uploaded the transcripts to the presentations, including the Q&A, and I read it and there was nothing there. And I realized, I think because they had a whole team of people who were retired or, or former or 
might even been detailed CIA and FBI working for them, apparently. And and I think what was, you know, the only way I can explain that transcript turning into um, recommendations from some of the serious analysts there was entrainment technology. So I think they were using entrainment to basically market the company and, and their securities, which, of course, is illegal. But all of this is illegal. I, I need to use entrainment. Yeah, specifically on Enron at that point, the one you're talking about? To, yeah, so so wow. back in 2000, yeah, so 98, 99. Well, if you look at when they were using on a, when it was being used on me during the litigation, that was 98, 99. But okay. remember, this rolled out on TV in 84. I mean, I overheard the conversation in 84, so it was rolling out on TV. But when you see the stories of people literally walking off a cliff while they're looking at their phone, that's entrainment. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, I heard um, Adam Trombley say that he was having people approaching him and he didn't mention what year. At least I didn't hear the year in the interview you did with him about how the Republican Party was using it. It was getting great results. What year was that? Because it seems like like it is each year it gets kicked up a notch in especially the political right. arena. Well, remember when they ran Obama? Um, I'll put up this week a, a little short I did on Obama. Will Obama be the fall guy? But Obama got elected on a wave. It was clear they were using major entrainment to get someone in who would get, because they'd issued massive securities, you know, fraudulent securities during the financial coup d'etat. And the question is, you know, the housing bubble can't last forever. So, how do we basically get the, you know, stick this to the taxpayer? And how do we get a young, groovy, ninja turtle kind of guy who can get all the young people and the minorities to go along with sticking it to the taxpayer? And, and so he comes in, major entrainment, not just here, but in Europe when he's talking. He comes in on a wave of this entrainment and then he gives $27 trillion to the bank, which is the equivalent of, you know, multiples of our retirement savings. At the time that, you know, the banks got what they got, $8 trillion would have paid off all the mortgage, single family mortgages in the country. You know, and all the young people are saying this guy's going to save us. And I'm, I'm like, this guy just engineered for the Rockefellers the single greatest political feat of Western civilization. He took the entire net worth savings of a society and gave it to the banks for free. And the young people are saying, this is great. All right. I, I totally understand what you're talking about, but at the same time, there are people that feel like Obama is a champion of whatever cause they think is great at the moment. Right. Uh, so right. here's my message. Here's my message. So so let's take a young person named Sam and Betty. Okay. All right. So so Obama and Sam and Betty's parents have pension funds and have a home, and have assets. And when they die, Sam and Betty are going to inherit all of that, okay? And that family capital is available to help them start a business, or if they have a child and there's a vaccine injury, to help them deal with that. And, you know, so 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 the family wealth, you know, it may be tiny. You know, they may have $50,000 in the home, but that wealth protects them from shocks and rainy days. Okay. Yeah. So, so Obama just engineered all of that money being stolen. So they have no inheritance, 
But meantime, he's telling them, oh, I've got a groovy position on this. And they're like, that's great. I love him. Because they don't see the game. They don't just see that someone significantly changed their future security and freedom and, and, and was able to engineer that because he was selling them a song about, you know, transgender marriage. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Right. right. Some, right. Social, some social issue that costs, you know, uh, the people who are stealing all the money, very little money. So you come up with some horribly divisive issue that doesn't cost the power guys money. And, you know, then you get everybody embroiled about that while you're stealing the entire family fortune. And this is still going on. Let's just be clear on that, too. Right. They're ready to do that. If you if you look at how much they've stolen from 98 on in the financial coup, mm-hmm. they are coming into a plan to double down now. How serious this plan is, I don't know. But what I heard and what we were tweeting about was I heard a plan that was very similar to the plan um, in my mind. So conceptually similar in my mind to the plan the U.S. intelligence agencies used in the 90s in the rape of Russia and the different disaster capitalism games going on in Latin America. So if you read Greg Palast, if you read Naomi Klein's shock doctrine about, you know, sort of how they raped Eastern Europe, um, how they raped Latin America, how they raped Russia. Anne Williamson has a great description of the whole process. Um, she did testimony called the rape of Russia. So if you do a search for Anne Williamson, the rape of Russia, or you're a Salary Report subscriber, I have several great interviews with her where she walks through how it all worked, but you had the U.S. intelligence agencies, you had the U.S. investment banks, some of the law firms. Harvard was the financial advisor. What you do is you implode the government. When you implode the government, what happens is, you know, a very high percentage of the population suddenly their whole, all their incomes just stop. Shock. Which means everything implodes, both government and the economy. And if you are sitting there with lots of liquid money positioned and ready for it, then you can buy everything for a penny on the dollar. You can buy all the national forest land. You can buy the rivers. You can buy everything for pennies on the dollar. And and um, what I heard this week or this weekend was a presentation for a plan to do exactly that in the United States. It was the same plan. Uh, you know, and, and basically what it would do is it would take the guys who've stolen all the assets. So what I've been saying is, look, these guys stole, you know, so let's just use the missing money as an example. There's $19 trillion of undocumentable adjustments uh, missing from federal accounts. So let's just pretend for purposes of argument that that's, you know, that's 10 to $20 trillion cash. Okay. What I'm saying is, look, enforce the Constitution and, and get that 10 to tr- $20 trillion back in asset form or the ownership rights of it, because that gives you what you need to be able to deal with America's obligations. OK, mm-hmm. so whether it's military pensions, whether it's Social Security disability, whether it's food stamps, you know, there are millions, whether it's, F- all, you know, existing mortgage insurance, America has trillions of dollars of obligations, use that without imploding. Don't have to implode anything. Don't have to tear up the Constitution. Simply enforce 
the appropriation clause of the Constitution and the financial management laws of the government. Just enforce them, get that money back, use it to meet your obligations. Now, if you do that, then, in fact, you can ultimately balance the budget and get things to work economically. If instead you implode, then the guys who stole the uh, the 10 to $20 trillion, you know, you've just torn up the only legal mechanism you have to get that back. So they get to keep the money. You know, they get a get-out-of-jail-free card. Think of tearing up the Constitution as giving them, in a game of Monopoly, you know, an infinite number of get-out-of-jail-free cards. Okay, so that's number one. And then you implode the economy. So instead of paying 100 cents on the dollar, they can buy they can buy everything for pennies on the dollar and control the process of how it works. Okay, sure. Back back up just a second. You mentioned the word on the undocumented adjustments. Now, I know you Uh and I have spoke about this before, and I've heard you speak to other people on your radio stuff that you've done. Uh Um, can you just explain that to people that have never even heard of that before, undocumented adjustments? What is that? So under the Constitution, Article 1 of the Appropriation Clause of Article 1, mm-hmm. Appropriation Clause says two things. One, all spending by the U.S. government must be approved in an appropriation by Congress. Okay? Mm-hmm. So Congress to approve and and the US government is not the executive branch does not have the power to spend money outside of congressional approval that's number 1 number 2 all spending must be uh, uh, uh reported in with transparency okay now we we know in 1947 and 49 they started to make exceptions for what's called the black budget okay but mm-hmm. in fact we also know that a great deal of money was seized at the end of World War II, which was put in a hidden system of finance and turned over to the control of the intelligence agencies. It's one of the reasons the intelligence agencies, you know, are essentially running the government, right. not the not not the elected people, whether it's Congress or the president. So, um, you know, so what you, you've literally seen is a coup d'état, and and much of it engineered through financial mechanisms of the intelligence agencies on behalf of, you know, question mark, you answer the question. So, but, but clearly, you know, a relatively small group of private players are basically running this thing. Now, what happened in the first Bush administration is I was part of a group of people who got laws passed saying uh, the government has to publish audited financial statements. And so a process began in 90, it was 95 or 96, whereby the government would publish something saying, we can't provide an audit of financial statements. And one of the reasons why is we have all these transactions which are undocumentable. Okay. So the day before 9-11, Rumsfeld stood up and get, gave a speech and referred to the fact the year before that the, the Department of Defense had 2.3 trillion of undocumentable adjustments. Now, here's what an undocumentable adjustment is. You have a report of revenues or expenses or some transaction. Uh, which you can't document. Let's say you spent a, a billion dollars on a weapon system and now you can't find it in the inventory. It's gone. You just write undocumentable adjustment billion dollars and write it off. So the assets that disappear, you write it off. You have all sorts of funny business, I believe, with securities fraud, 
you know, whether it's the money coming in or going out. So, so you end up, you know, so in 2015, the undocumentable adjustments at the Department of Defense were $6.5 trillion, which was more than 10 times their budget. Wow. Now, any organization, so imagine if you're part of a church and you come to the business meeting at church, and let's say the church has a budget every year of $500,000. If, if your accountant tells that you that you have $5,000 of undocumentable adjustments, you're going to say, well, it's not worth our time to go figure those out. We know the pastor's on us. But if you said the church has $5 million of undocumentable adjustments, you say, what in the world's going on here? We wanting a laundry? Right. You know, I, I have to get to the bottom of this. Okay. So every year since 1996, what has been happening is, uh, you know, there are undocumentable adjustments, and every year they say, well, we'll try not to do it again next year, and then it happens again. Now, let me move away from DOD because there are people who say, well, DOD has reason to have secret operations, which I agree with, but, you know, the size is what's the issue. Let me talk about HUD. Um, so far, there are $19 trillion of undocumentable adjustments that have been identified at HUD and DOD. Now, there are 19 other what's called cover agencies, and nobody's gone through them. I've been working with a professor from Michigan State University. He's going to be on the Solaria Report this week. And we have, if you go to our website and type in HUD and DOD, you'll pull up, you know, we have all the financial statements. So if you want to verify it using government documentation, you can. Um, what I will tell you, having been Assistant Secretary of Housing at HUD and being intimately familiar, many, several years later, my company was hired back to be the lead financial advisor for FHA at HUD. So I have intimate understanding of their operation. If you look at the billions and billions of dollars on undocumentable adjustments, there is no legal, moral, ethical, operational reason for them not to have been able to produce financial statements all along. But there is no reason for them to have more than 1% undocumentable adjustments. And so there is billions being stolen, and there is only one explanation, and that is criminal enterprise. Now, and, you know, it, and it involves – it's involved with the pump and dump of the housing market and all the securities fraud on the housing bubble that we all know and love and have heard about through the bailouts. Mm -hmm. um, in 2001, I went to visit, and no, it was 2000, I went to visit the chief of staff to the head of, of the appropriation subcommittee for HUD in the Senate. And um, somebody I didn't know, I was being careful, and she said, what do you think is going on at HUD? And I said, I don't know. What do you think is going on at HUD? And she said, HUD is being run as a criminal enterprise. And I said, I don't disagree. But what that means is HUD is run on a matrix structure and requires, you know, the participation in the New York Fed member banks and the Department of Treasury. So if you're going to run HUD on a criminal, you know, basis intentionally, um, which clearly they were doing at the time, you have to do that with the blessings of a wide number of institutions. Now, post the bailout, we all understand that. Now, what am I getting? If you think the solution to the U.S. government being run on a criminal basis is to implode it so the criminals have stolen all the money, can then get out of all the obligations to the American people and buy the country at a penny on the dollar, that's not the answer. The answer is we need to take the government back and then, yes, can we evolve the government? Of course. But um, 
we need to do it under the rubric of or the umbrella of the Constitution. Because I assure you, if you do this process with no law, then the people who have stolen all the money and run the U.S. government as a criminal operation, uh, uh, operation will increase their power by a multiple of 100 or more. It will be absolutely amazing. I mean, you are literally turning over. The plan that I heard this weekend turns the entire country over to Goldman Sachs, you know, with with no check and balance on it. It's 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 literally the most insane thing I've ever heard. All right, and that that plan that you heard this weekend was where were you when you heard this? I was at a conference at the Aspen Institute and I was listening to Adam uh Kokesh and basically what he said is the constitution is old, we ought to tear it up. Two, the only way to deal with the government is to implode it, and then we ought to privatize everything. And if you look at the way he sequenced that, he was describing what I my understanding is the rape of Russia plan. Wow. Okay. Here's my but, first question. How did he get to speak at that thing? Does it cost money? Or did he get invited? I I have I'm assuming it was invitation only, so I'm assuming he was invited. Ron Paul was there, um, Dennis Kucinich was there. Uh, I was there, you know, a lot of, uh, and it was a, a spectrum and diversity of people. It was the Nexus conference. You can go online and look at my, um, if you go to Solaria.com, I have a little commentary and it links to their website or you can, it, it was basically a conference discussing cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology. Okay. So it's basically focused on technology, but what this technology means for the economy and uh, and for for you know sort of political structures, et cetera. So and, what, was he saying this because he is like into really into libertarianism now? And that was one of the things with the Ron Paul campaign. I noticed that by the end of the 2012 campaign, the whole thing kind of got. I'm not going to say taken over, but there's kind of this. Granted, Ron Paul was a libertarian before he jumped on as a Republican. This kind of thing um, taken over by who's the guy that started PayPal? Like he was having parties down there for all the Ron Paul delegates and they were really trying to. It was those people that really went into the Bitcoin thing. I noticed those people really started going into Bitcoin. Well, it was. So here's here's. If you go to his website, uh, Kokesh for not president is called. Yeah. What he says is because no one should be president, we're putting none of the above on the ballot in 2020 in the form of Adam Kokesh. The platform is simple. Declare the federal government of no authority, dissolve or privatize every agency, transitioning some functions in the states, liquidate all remaining assets to fund social programs as private charities, resign the presidency to become custodian of the federal government, and do it all with a single executive order on the very first day. So, so um, you know, and he doesn't say it right here, but what he said during the speech is the, you know, the Constitution is old. He basically, uh, I don't remember his ex- exact quote, but it's basically an irrelevant document. You know, it should it should be torn up. Right. So, so, but here's, you know. It also, and, and his, his implication was, you know, we're anarchists and we're just gonna, uh, we're just gonna let everything devolve down to the local level and it'll be wonderful. So, 
So let me step back and describe what this means. So 50% or more of the people in, in every county in America, you know, because what we've done is we've centralized the economy using the, the federal government. Mm-hmm. I don't like it. You know, I've been trying to stop it for, you know, decades now. But the reality is we have to start where we are. So you have a county where you have thousands of people who are financially dependent on military pensions, government pensions, or private pensions, which are backed up by the pension benefit uh, uh, corporation. Right. You have uh, lots of outstanding mortgages that have FHA and VA backing, and you have lots of people who couldn't get work, so they're on Social Security disability. You have retirees who are on Social Security, which is not a government benefit. It is a trust fund they paid the money in so it's their money you've got a tremendous number of people you know in some states 25 percent or more on food stamps now when you implode the federal government all of those so that so the income flows to 50 percent of the people in your county are going to stop this is exactly what happened in russia it just stops now figure the average household has one to three weeks of food on hand you know, we can all eat rice for a while if they can't. It takes, you know, two to five years to learn how to garden and build a legitimate garden and orchard that can feed you if you have enough land to do it. OK, because remember, you're going to turn off the electricity bill, the water bill. All those things are going to get turned off on you. So maybe you have enough food and money to go one to three weeks if you're smart, you know, one to three months. 20 to 25% of those households have no reserves. They have no savings. They have no money. They've basically, their financial resources have gotten wiped out over the last 10 to 15 years. Okay. Yep. So, so of those 50%, 25% of the entire county can't go more than one to three weeks before they simply start to, you know, so, so let's say if they have three weeks of food, they have, they can go for without food for three weeks and then they start to die. So within six weeks, 25% of your county is in a die-off phase. And that's why there are people who will tell you in Russia, the population dropped, you know, the estimates range from 10 to 25 million people. I mean, you just had a massive. So, so we're talking, the, the plan I heard was financial genocide. But the beauty of it is you can get rid of the people you no longer need because you're going to run everything with techie software and AI. You can get rid of all the useless eaters and you can do it in a form where you can buy up all their assets for pennies on the dollar because they're going to have to sell everything and they're going to have to agree with going along with selling the national forest. So we've seen the last couple of presidents move a huge amount of land into the federal government. So all yes. of that land is going to be auctioned off at pennies for the dollar. They're going to buy, you know, the West for pennies on the dollar. All right. So back so, to this Nexus conference, was Adam Kokesh, you said he wanted to privatize anything. He was into the idea that they would privatize, the, like, the selling off of the land that they've just reclaimed. Well, here's what he said. You, you implode the government. He said now, this. Remember, right, he yeah, said this. Yeah. yeah okay. So, okay. So I'm just reading. I'm just reading you from his website. The platform yeah. is simple. Declare the federal government of no authority to dissolve or privatize 
reagency transitioning some functions to the state liquidate all remaining assets to fund social pro liquidate means privatize he also used right, the word privatize right, right liquidate all remaining assets to fund social programs as private charities resign the presidency begin and do this all with a single executive order on the first day so he's talking about impl- complete implosion okay all right so that's all right i didn't know that this is what he was up to okay so you had just outlined that all this undocumented stuff, uh, the undocumented adjustments really started in 1942, you said, and then after World War II, no, the intelligence agency no, started running no, it. No, no, no. no. So, so, so secret budgets in size began in 47 and 49. 47 and 49, okay. Secret and, budgets. The undocumentable adjustment problem did not start until 1996. 96. Okay, yeah, because I wrote that. And then you wrote down the – I'm taking notes through this whole thing. Yeah, sorry, private sorry, pla- sorry, private sorry, players wait, 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 are running wait, wait, this thing, you said. Who are the oh, private hold, hold, players? Wait, 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 wait. You're asking many, many questions. I know because I'm this. overwhelmed. This is out of control. No, no, it's not. It, it doesn't have to be overwhelming. Okay. The, the financial reporting requirement kicked in in 95 or 96. The undocumentable adjustments started in 1998. Okay. Okay. So, so the money started to go missing in October 1997, which is the beginning of the federal fiscal year 1998. Okay. So let's go back to what is a financial coup d'etat. Yeah. In the spring of 1997, I had a meeting with the top pension fund leaders of the country or a group of the top including the president of CalPERS, which is the largest pension fund in the country. It's the California public retirement system, public employee retirement system. And I gave them a presentation on how we could re-engineer local economies to turn the economy around and sort of jump the curve on globalization. And the president of CalPERS looked at me and he said, he froze and he said, you don't understand. It's too late. They've given up on the country. They're moving all the money out starting in the fall. Now, what I thought he meant at the time, so in the spring of 1997, what I thought he meant is, you know, we're shifting the allocations in the pension funds and private investment to globalize our investment. That's what I thought he meant. I was wrong. In October 1997, so it was, uh, you know, like five months later, money started going missing from the federal government in huge amounts. So far at two agencies, there are 21 covered agencies, the the Dr. Skidmore at Michigan State University and his, and his team have simply gone through two agencies and they're up to 19 trillion. Okay. Now I think those two probably have a high percentage of them. I don't know, but I'm guessing. Okay, but we're up to 19 trillion. Now, you keep, let me explain how much 19 trillion is. You keep hearing that, that our debt is out of control, unmanageable, because it's 20 trillion. Well, if I issue 20 trillion dollars of debt and then steal 19 trillion, do we have a debt problem or do we have a crime problem? You see what I mean? Yeah, I definitely. Okay. See right. So, so that's why I keep calling it a financial coup d'etat. Because what they did was, from 98 on, they have issued debt and then emptied money out the back door. And understand how much this is. 
I can't tell you if 19 trillion of undocumentable adjustments is 5 trillion or 30 trillion. It could be either. That's the problem with, you know, when your accounts have no integrity, you don't know what they mean. What I will tell you is just from, from watching HUD and knowing, cause I, I know much, much more about HUD than I know about the Department of Defense. What I will tell you is they have stolen enough money to create an endowment to run a global government on a private basis. Now, Holy I'm not saying that's, yeah, right. I'm saying that's what they did. But if you have that much money, I mean, I keep focusing on this, you know, I, I have wonderful, lovely relatives who are very passionate, caring people, and they keep saying, well, dear, we don't care about money. We care about people. And I said, when you steal everybody's private savings, if you steal their home, if you steal the money they use to feed themselves or feed their kids, this is about people. It is about people. So if you steal, you know, all the money in a society and and then you implode the government and shut off all the you know the income to 50% of the people in the country you're going to have a power position which is so far above the law it's un- i mean and then if you tear up the constitution if you tear up the constitution then then we're talking about going back to slavery because you know Goldman Sachs and the squid are going to have all the money Everyone is going to be imploding and and basically be in a position of, you know, starvation. Oh, okay. So we can, as you just described this, since 1997, has it been apparent yet who these players are? You just mentioned Goldman Sachs, obviously, is a big one. But if everything's getting privatized, who are the people that are buying up all this stuff? I recently saw a list on your site, I think it was, of the landowners that, like, the people are – investing and buying up land. Right. So since 2008, the top 100 landowners in the country have nearly doubled their positions. Okay. And Right. So, and, and if they're doubling their positions, imagine what they could do if they could buy all the national forests out of the, out of the government for pennies on the dollar. So now are these people responsible for this event or is that, are they just benefiting from this? Like, I'm trying to get down to the who the heck is doing this to us. Well, that's the question. You and I live on a planet where the governance system is invisible. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, I I will tell you in my personal experience, you know, what I experienced because I was, you know, I was a partner to Wall Street firm and I was, uh, you know, an assistant secretary of housing in the first Bush administration. But I'll, I'll give you an example. When I was on Wall Street, and, and all I can tell you is many, many stories that kind of explain how it works. Um, the chairman of our firm would come in in our the partners would have a strategic planning meeting in January. And he would come in and he'd say, let me tell you what's going to happen this year. And then he would literally roll out what was going to happen. Just for everybody in, in the world, in America or just at your company or what? Just sort of, you know, here's what's going to happen that will impact capital markets flow next year. Okay. And what he will tell you is I can tell you what's going to happen. I just can't tell you exactly when. So he couldn't predict the timing if it was going to get done in June or September. But, you know, basically you had a leadership structure that worked by committee and consensus and they made a plan. And then that's what happened. And one of the reasons it happened was because they engineered 
you know, the control systems and the financial systems to get everybody to want to go there. And, and, you know, we, we live in a very managed society and a very managed economy. They set goals. It's very organic. There's a lot of cooperation and competition. So sometimes it work. It doesn't, but, you know, and, and there was a series of meetings throughout the year where people would go off and make decisions. So in America, you know, the key decisions on governance in America was, uh, was at the Bohemian Grove. You know, God forbid you should have to call the chairman when he was at the Bohemian Grove, you, you know, big black mark. Oh my so, gosh. so let me give you another example. Just when so people, I, uh, can I just say the Bohemian Grove, this, when you try to mention this to people, they're like, that's the biggest load of whatever. But people really do go to this thing still, as Catherine Austin Fitz, former assistant of the right. housing secretary, just told us. Right, but it's not a, it's not a conspiracy. It is a way to get all the players who run the economy from all the different areas to come together and get educated and come to a consensus about how to handle something. And mm-hmm. and when you come out, you know, it when you come out of that meeting, you know, it's a complex consensus because it's involving many different people and industries and so the enforcement is, you know, if everybody's going to do the waltz, you don't want to try and do the polka because you're going to get hiccuped. Do you know what I mean? Yep. So, so it, it you know, a, a lot of this works like consensus. Now, the bureaucracy that is most powerful in implementing this consensus is the CIA because the CIA was created by Wall Street and the money guys, and the CIA had turned over it to it control of the black budget and the hidden system of finance. And so, I mean, Charlie Schumer, uh, Chuck Schumer, after Trump became president, because remember, here we have a president in his first month, 25, you know, every time he talks to a world leader, you know, the transcripts leak. Who do you think is doing that? You've got the CIA and now the NSA. And so Chuck Schumer gets on TV and is, I forget who he was interviewing with, and he said, look, you can't buck the intelligence agencies. You have to do what they say. They have 50 ways of getting you. Wow. Now, here's what he was saying is, they're in charge, not, you know, the people in New York elected me, but the people in New York and I are not in charge. I got to do what the intelligence agencies say or they're going to get me. And Trump better learn this because he's got to do what they say. Or So what he's saying is the country is not run by the by the democratically or or, you know, the elected representatives. The country is run by the CIA and these other intelligence agencies. And we have to do what they say. OK, now, so that is. I was going to say, but then that makes people like Adam Kokesh when he stands up and says, let's tear this thing up. People are looking at that whole thing like this country isn't run by this piece of paper anymore. Well, but here's the thing. So we have a covenant that is the most powerful and enlightened covenant ever created in the world called the U.S. Constitution. It is a miracle. Okay. Mm -hmm. And. Every person who's listening to this has spent their life protected by that covenant and that miracle. They have no idea what the world looks like if that miracle should ever stop protecting them. Now, I appreciate that that constitution has not been respected or enforced the way we'd like to see it, but you have no idea what the world will look like if you tear it up. The people... You know, if you look at whoever is in that governance system, these people believe in and practice slavery. If I can communicate anything to you, having worked 
at the top of Wall Street and the top of Washington, they believe in slavery. And, and slavery is the single most profitable business they have ever participated in. Okay. Yeah. If you, Mm -hmm. so, so, so do you know why they stopped the leadership stopped the African American trade slave? You know why they stopped? No, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. There, there, There were two reasons. One of them was they couldn't perfect collateral. So, the city, the, the London banks would finance the Southern banks financing some plantation guy buying a slave at a 50% loan to value ratio. And then when the commodity markets went down, he'd sell that slave West and they couldn't, you know, they couldn't send somebody West to get their slave back because they had, you know, they were collateral on the loan. So they kept losing money. They had no way of perfecting collateral. Digital technology says, whether through your smartphone or all the other mechanisms where they put a chip in your arm, digital technology gives them a way to perfect a collateral problem solved. Mm-hmm. Great. And then Ethereum rolls out, right? Okay. Well, I don't think Ethereum, if, if you look within the cryptocurrencies, um, to me, cryptocurrencies are simply a prototyping period to solve a couple of problems, one of which is, you know, how do we have, how do we go to the system that the Rockefeller uh, d- described to Aaron Rousseau? So you've watched that video, correct? Right, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. Right, right, right. So so to do, to build a system like that requires a great deal of prototyping, and we're in this period um, of, innovation and prototyping if you have ever read uh there's a review up at, up about it it's a solaria report called the master switch by tim Wu, mm-hmm. and it's the subtitle is the rise and fall of information empires and what he describes over the last 150 years is this process of new a new technology comes out there's a wonderful blossoming of innovation everybody says isn't this wonderful it can save the world you know thousands of entrepreneurs start using it doing stuff and then once it sort of gets developed, wham, it helps to centralize. And suddenly it's consolidated. And it keeps happening again and again and again. And it's a history of, of centralization. Okay. All right. Here comes the music. We're going to end up taking a break. Everybody, I want you to hang on through the break. I want you to come back the second hour and listen to this. This is Out of Control. Catherine Austin Fitz. We'll see you after the break, everyone. All right, for everybody that just coming in this hour, this is the second hour of Shadow Citizen, and I'm your host, Rachel L. McIntosh. Today, we've been talking to former Assistant Housing Secretary Catherine Austin Fitz, who runs Solari.com, and she has blown my mind yet again. We talked about the missing trillions and trillions of dollars. There's 19 trillion missing from two, only two agencies. There's 19 agencies altogether. We talked about how Chuck Schumer got on TV, basically said that the CIA and the intelligence agencies run everything and the president has to do what, he, what they tell him. Um, and then right before break, uh, Ms. Fitz started to tell us about the master switch about innovation and we were I it happened because I made a comment a side comment about ethereum and she was telling us about all these trillions of dollars and if she's here I'd like to have her talk about that um is she back on with us well can I yes yes. can you hear me yes I can hear you now good good okay good let let me let me turn to two issues first yes and then we'll come back to that okay number one just want to talk about disclosure 
Because the idea of politics is disclosure is good because, you know, in anything political, we're sharing the, you know, responsibility and the obligations. Uh, so we all need to know what's going on. So that's the idea of disclosure. So when Ron Paul or Cynthia McKinney or Dennis Kucinich or any one of my political heroes run for a political position, they have to disclose where their donations come from. Right. So, you know, there are websites you can go look at every donation, you know, down to a dollar for every politician running for a political office. Now, if you get together and you do a not-for-profit that instead, you know, runs around the country and talks about policies, a not-for-profit in the United States has to disclose its tax returns. You know, they don't pay taxes per se, but they have to, because they get the benefit of, of, of you know, freedom from taxation, they are required to provide disclosure to anybody who wants it, okay? So you have very significant disclosure um, uh, uh, disclosure that will help me understand your conflicts of interest. So if a candidate is financed 90% by Wall Street, then when they say, oh, we ought to repeal Glass-Steagall, I realize they have serious conflicts of interest. Okay. Yep. So, so you want to know, I always tell everybody, you want to know where somebody's money comes from before you understand, you know, to understand, you need to know qui bono, who benefits. So I'm like Miss qui bono, qui bono, qui bono. You know, I have all these articles <laughs> I've written, you know, 9-11, qui bono. I'm like, okay, who's making money here? How does the money work? That's the first, you know, I map financial ecosystems. That's the way I try and understand my world. So, so the first thing I did for this guy I listened to this weekend was, okay, where does the money come from? Guess what? It's all secret. It's all coming in from Bitcoin. We have a new way of sending lots of secret dividends, you know, into somebody, and I can't know where their money is coming from. Oh, because you did try to look it up. up they, you, you I did. always go. I always say, yeah, yeah, where's somebody's money coming from? So, so if Ron Paul's running for office, I can see where his money comes. If I want to know about his not-for-profit, I, you know, I write and they got to give me their tax returns. And, you know, if they don't, my lawyer can write and beat them up. And, you know, it was Eventually, very interesting during the litigation. Yeah. During the litigation, there was mega funny business going on at the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm, my family has been, you know, teaching or working or or going to the University of Pennsylvania for three generations. My grandfather was the dean of Wharton School. My father was the chairman of the Department of Surgery. I had uh, I wrote them and I said, "Can I have your the last three years of your tax returns?" Which is a perfectly reasonable request. Every lot of not for profits will just have it up on their website. So I didn't get it. So I had my attorney write a letter, and the next thing I know, I got a screaming phone call from my sister who said that my brother, who was at the time dean of the law school, had been called into the provost's office and threatened. And my sister was saying, my brother will be fired if you don't back down, if you insist to get there, you know, which was the perfect example of why you know something funny was going yeah, on. Yeah, I was going to say, right, right there, this, this is a big red flag. Wow. Right, but they pretty speed, close to the, home, too. The speed at which, you know, my brother... I got yelled at by the provost and my brother yelled at my sister and I got yelled at pretty fast. Yeah. Anyway, so, so, so here we have created a construct coming into the 2020 election where somebody, anybody can launder an extraordinary amount of money 
into a political activist, think of this as Soros 3.0, you know, and, and it's all secret and it can even be secret to the activists. So this, so depending on how you set up your exchange, as long as they have your address, lots of money can be sent to you and you don't know if it's coming in from your next door neighbor or coming in from Langley, Virginia. Right. Right. Okay. So you, know, saying- you can go make a, you can go make a speech and as long as you're saying the right things, you know, those guys can use entrainment technology. You don't even know. You just, you're just really thrilled how well you're doing with the audience whenever you talk about tearing up the constitution. And do, all right. So back to the entrainment thing that we started off the interview with an hour ago. Do you feel that Adam Kokesh was giving off entrainment, uh, type of vibe or do you think that he I, had I, been, I, he had been? I, no, I don't think there was any entrainment present. Okay. I didn't okay. say. No, 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 I didn't see. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, it, it could just be in that forum. So okay. here's what's so funny. We're, uh, it was a wonderful conference, very nice people who had organized it, and it was a great opportunity to get together and talk about these issues because in a time of this kind of change, these are exactly the conversations we, we should be happening. But there we are at the Aspen Institute, and the different rooms I'm speaking in are the Koch Brother Building the Booz Allen Hamilton room, who's like the number one contractor to the CIA. And mm-hmm. so you're running around and it's the names of all the people who are essentially running the financial coup d'etat. And we're talking about, you know, is the, you know, grassroots anarchy. And, you know, the, the sense of cognitive dissonance was beyond, beyond amazing. <laughs> yeah, I bet. I bet. All right, so yeah, yeah. I, so I, let's that, talk about I, taxation. Go ahead, go ahead. What'd you say? I didn't hear okay. you. Let's let's talk about taxation. Okay. So so one of the things I've said is to enforce the constitution. What we ought to do is get together with our state and local representatives and escrow our taxes. We shouldn't be sending taxes into the U.S. government if they're not going to obey the law and they're going to run a criminal enterprise. So let's enforce the Constitution. Let's all pay our taxes into escrows. And then let's, you know, send a a check to the government for the military and the debt so that we can keep our obligations. But then say, you know, all that money you're sending us in our place, I tell you what, we've got the money here. So we have to assert control to make sure the money's uh, spent legally. Now, wait, that's such a good idea. That's such a good idea. That's a great idea. All right. So. You'd have to get together with your local or state or how would can we talk that? I think the best, yeah, I think the best way to do it, it depends if you're in a big state versus a small state. But let's just say for a second, you and I are both in small states. I think the state legislature is going to be very, very helpful. But but you're going to want to involve the local guys, too, which is really in a small state, not hard to do. Right. Um, and because and right now, when I last did the estimate, Let's say the average taxpayer pays $5,000 a year in federal taxes. 80% of that money is going to agencies that have 20 or more years have refused to obey the, the laws related to financial management and respect the appropriation clause. So that means, you know, $4,000 a year is going into something which is lawless one way or the other. And that has to be dealt with. So, Instead of imploding the federal government that puts the guys who stole all the money in the catbird seat, what we need to do is assert jurisdiction of the cash flows and make sure they're spent lawfully. And then also make sure that there's an effort to say, 
to the to the banks that did all those transactions and the contractors who did all those transactions, where's our nineteen trillion dollars or whatever that number is in cash? Wow. So that's why I say, you know, take control because we have there is no government racial. I can assure you when I was an assistant secretary, I was required by law to run the FHA on a balanced budget. And to do that, I needed information that was in the payment systems, which were controlled by a defense contractor who would refuse to give me the data. And I couldn't make them. Okay. Same problem Trump has with the intelligence agencies. He can't make a phone call to the head of France without the transcript being leaked to the Washington Post. So, so, so the reality is the problem is that the government does not have information sovereignty and it does not have financial sovereignty. And you've got to reestablish that sovereignty. Otherwise, you know, the guys who stole all the money will be running everything. They're not running everything now. And what I have to tell you is if we put them in a position to run everything, then they believe in slavery. And if they have all the power and we have none, guess what? Yeah, that doesn't sound like the best mix. Right. Uh-huh. Right. Wow. So that's why. I say we got to take control of the governmental mechanism. We don't need to, you know, we don't need to play anarchy and blow it up because that just makes the guys who stole all the money, you know, triple powerful. They get to, they get to abrogate all the contracts and tear up the constitution. Nothing could make them happier. They're home safe. We've given them a get out of jail free card. What we need to do is say, no, we need to embrace the government. We're taking it back and we're taking it back by asserting control of all the financial cash flows, the, the the money we put in, the money we take out, and all the other credit mechanisms. We're taking control of the federal cash flows. Do you know how many people would be so excited to pay their federal taxes to an escrow account and not to the federal government right now? Right. That would be well, so you're awesome. Gonna to, you're going to have to make sure that money in that escrow account can go out to the things where, where it's imperative to go out because what you don't want to do is you don't want to cause 50% of the people in the community to lose their income. So you're going to have to be in the business. So, you know, what I would want to do is I would want to look at that, you know, so I would be sending money to the government for the military. I would be sending money to the government to pay the debt. And I would say, okay, how, you know, the federal government in this county sends us $250 million a year. How can we do those functions out of this escrow? You know, I'll send money for the military. I'll send them money for the debt. But... For any money coming into us, you know, we're not sending it. It doesn't need to go to Washington and come back in a very paperful process. We can just re-engineer it right here. And not only that, we can re-engineer where it's going to save us a lot of money and save the taxpayers money, and we'll create more jobs and income here. Oh, my gosh. Ms. Fitz, how come you don't run for anything? For because any- I don't – I am not – I am not a politician. That one of the functions we have in this country that we've forgotten about is called independent media. Okay. So I can explain all of these things. If you, if you look at our second quarter wrap up, I do a wonderful interview with Cynthia McKinney, who is a fabulous politician. She is. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, she's fabulous. I was just on the phone with Dennis Kucinich this morning. He's a fabulous politician. These are people who are very astute, capable politicians, which is what you need in that role. Now I can publish this information and teach any one of those people. And that's part of the conversation I had with Cynthia in the second quarter wrap up. But I also put a list of here's what we need to do. Here's how we could enforce the constitution. 
everyone in America can take that list and go have a discussion. So what I need to be is I need to be independent media, not just for anyone to listen to, but you are an up and coming young member of independent media. I can teach you. So oh, thank you. My, thank you. Right, right, well, no, really, though. No, thank you. Freedom is got to be reinvented by all of us. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Now I don't. I don't know this guy Adam. You know, I, I just don't know him. I just heard him and you know asked him some pretty hard questions and gave him a tough time during the speech. But you know, let's assume he's sincere and he really doesn't understand what he's a part of or what he's doing. You know, he needs to get the education and say, okay, well, you know, if I really am about freedom, then what I need to do is enforce the Constitution, not tear it up. It never occurred to me that, you know, if I tore it up, this is what would happen. It's all about sequencing. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, so what we need to do is preserve the Constitution. What we need to do is get the government back and get control of the cash flows and the money. And then what we need to do is evolve it in a way that doesn't employ the economy because it's just going to make the guys more powerful who stole all the money. And what we need to do is assert jurisdiction because one of the things you've heard me say, Rachel, and I'm going to keep saying it, crime that pays is crime that stays. That's so right. if they can steal $19 trillion and get away with it, it doesn't matter what we do. They're going to win. Right. 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 Okay, so, so this is interesting. This all happened at a conference where you're talking about Bitcoin, Ethereum, these different types of financial elements that are coming into play or have been in play and are get, trying to be normalized, blockchain. Um, how, well, the way, just as an okay, aside, so, how, did you, how does that fit into what you were – how did you put it together that this all fit together? Well, because right now, if you, if you want the general population to prototype type a digital currency mm -hmm. the way you do that is you make it very financially attractive to do that so you pump and dump it right but then you get to believe that it can solve all the problems so right now we have a political system that has low integrity we have a financial system that has low integrity and we have information hardware that has low integrity you know if i can use entrainment technology it has low integrity art you know so, so political financial information system, low integrity. But what you get is you pump and dump the technology. So everybody's making money and then you get them to believe that they can solve all these integrity problems through this technology. And that creates the most incentive because most people, everybody loves to make money, but most people don't really resonate with making money. They want to save the world. They want to make the world better. They're frustrated by the financial system. They're frustrated by the politics. They're frustrated by the corruption. They really want to change things. If you can get them to believe on a pump and dump that they're going to get rich and save the world, they like, you know, then instead of everybody rebuilding the soil or, you know, improving the environment, they'll go off and 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 basically prototype the thing you want prototyped. Right. 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 So. So. so and there's tremendous economic reasons why digital currencies you know, in theory, could be wonderful. We have 7 billion people on the planet who need low-cost transaction costs. Now, Bitcoin and blockchain are not low-cost and are not scalable, but presumably we could use the idea of of open or more open ledger databases to get a lot, you know, to, to do a lot of things in this world. So there's real economic reasons why people would be interested in this stuff, but there's no doubt what you've got going on is a major op and 
I'm going to do a Solaria report next month called um, uh, Bitcoin, the most sophisticated op yet. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be looking at that one for sure. So well, when you were talking, go ahead. Uh, it was really funny. There was this wonderful panel where uh, a very attractive young activist was talking about uh, the divide and conquer going on in the country. And she was describing the people with the black hoods who were doing all the violence, you know, and breaking the windows at these demonstrations. She was talking about them as if she was, they were real citizens. She didn't understand they were pros. She had yeah. no idea. It was so frightening that she didn't know that. She thought that they were really, you know, young people who were upset about what was going on. <laughs> it's like, oh, no. Yeah, she didn't but know. then but then you see people that just jump on the bandwagon because, like you said, everybody's getting this information from the internet, and they say, "Wow, look at all these people! These people seem like they're angry. I'm angry too," and they jump on the bandwagon. Well, what what you're watching, you know, and you've seen it happen all around the world. They are weaponizing the population now. You know, when I talk about the Kingsmen or the movie The Cell, where they literally weaponize the population. Um, uh, you know, that, that's the extreme violence, but, uh, you know, the weaponization of the population in more subtle forms has been going on for decades now. Well, when did you think, when do you think that it started? The weaponization of the population? Here's the thing. If you watch all the movies about Germany or Russia or the totalitarian states. Yeah. You know, this has been going on for centuries. If you, we, our, our economic model in the West is the central banking warfare model. Mm -hmm. And, and so the, the control systems have always been very, very deep. So when they were laying out the railroad infrastructure, you know, it was done through the Masons. Um, uh, you know, it's really interesting because a lot of the control went through the Vatican church. You know, the confession box was the way they created control files. Right, right. And, and it's very interesting because when the telecoms came out, that's, you know, the telecoms came up with a confession booth that was much more universal, much lower cost, and didn't require a storefront. And it completely power shifted the Vatican. You know, the Vatican, it had, in some respects, had the supreme network and control file network for 2,000 years. And they had diplomatic immunity exemption from taxation and, you know, 2000 years of the magic of compound interest. That's a very powerful model. Right. Um, right. And the telecoms and the ability for NSA and the private guys to, to basically create that control file at very low cost, much more universally really power shifted the Vatican. Interesting. That's yeah. I never really thought of that, but yes. Yeah. Right. Right. So when I was a kid, you know, basically what you had was a very organic combination. So if you look at how the narcotics trafficking worked in the East Coast cities, you had the Masons and they controlled the banks and the law firms and, and uh, a variety of other positions. And then the Vatican's, you know, at that time were the Italians and, and the Irish and they controlled the ports and some of the transportation stuff in the unions. And then you had a smaller group, which was the Jews, who were, you know, very entrepreneurial and did a variety of different functions. And, and then behind all of them, you had the intelligence agencies who got this huge and growing pot of unaccountable, basically infinite money on an uncountable basis. 
and tons of technology, particularly from the Operation Paperclip. They brought all the Nazi scientists over, you know, so mind control and all these other stuff. And right. so you have infinite amount of secret money in the intelligence agencies cross-cut with these three groups or networks, the, the Masons and the Jesuits uh, and the Vatican and the Jews. And, you know, they basically had the local communities networked and organized and could sort of deliver anything on the ground. And what's interesting, if you look at, at since 1940. Seven to 49. If I was to write a history of America from then until now, I would, you know, I would entitle it how the local boys got rolled. <laughs> and all those, all those networks got rolled because in fact, what they were able to do is use the financial system and digital technology to assert more and more and more control. And that's why the mind control has become so important because you, you know, you want to make sure that people can't see the game. That's why they did so much to suppress the place-based financial data. Because none of this makes sense unless you map out the financial flows. And mapping out the financial flows within a financial ecosystem locally, nationally, and globally, it's complicated. You know, it took me decades to learn how to do it. But now, with the technology we have and the interest, I think I think there's an incredible opportunity for young people to grab this and say, you know, something – we can ask Qui Bono on any topic policy platform and look at how the money works in our county, how the money works in our state, how the money works in our country, and what's going on. And we can re-engineer those flows because we don't need to re-engineer government. We need to re-engineer the cash flows. Good and you point. can't re-engineer the cash flows. Right. You can't re-engineer the cash flows until you can see them. That's right. When you're talking, right. maybe think of Charles Artell because he was on this show talking about the Clinton Foundation and how he had done all of his work. You must have heard of him, how he broke. Right. You know, he's, so, he's out of control. You're out of control. I'd love to see like great minds like you guys, and I'm sure people would jump on with you guys to try to help map this out, how this money's been moving, because I'm positive if people knew that this was happening, they'd any, want to try to help. Anyone can, any, Anyone can do it. So if you go to the Salir report, there's something called mapping your financial ecosystem. I mean, all the information is there. Mm-hmm. But here's here's the thing. When you map the, the cash flows, the greatest tool you have to re-engineer is the cash flows is something called the law. Okay? Because without the law and respect for the law and preservation of the law, money doesn't matter and it won't work. Okay, so so all financial systems start with what is the law and how do we enforce the law? And that's why this all comes back to the Constitution. You preserve and protect the Constitution or. You know, we are in great physical danger. Right. I can't stress that enough. So you have to start. You have to start by saying, I am committed. The the Constitution is the law as it stands now. And I am committed to that law and making sure that we enforce that law. And we are going to enforce it. And the first thing we are going to do to enforce it is we are going to get intellectual mastery of how the cash flows work. And we are going to get those cash flows back in compliance with the law and whatever problems we have, 
We're going to work it out from there. We're going to, it's like, it's like a group of people who are standing outside the umbrella. We're going to get everybody back under the umbrella and then we're going to figure out how we go from there. Okay. So intellectual mastery of the cash flows. Um, I'm also, as you're talking, I'm getting visions of uh, John McAfee with his Bitcoin. Uh, what he's, I don't exactly uh-huh. know what he's trying to do, but he's trying to pump out a ton of them, and he's moving out of China into India with it now. And he he just made a t- tweet about um, screw Yellen, screw the Fed. There's a new world order coming, and I'm coming with it. And how it now? Let's go back to this Bitcoin and this new type of. Uh, exchange so here's here's you know i i disagree with john mcafee now i will say this john mcafee just gave a presentation on on uh, security issues called pandora's box it's up at solari it's very good so it's well worth listening to john mcafee on security issues now here's what i have to say about screw yellen and screw all these people control on this planet is physical okay the people who run the planet control by force. If you don't do what they say, they're going to come into your house. A bunch of guys are going to come into your house with a gun, and they're going to make you do this or that. Now, right now, you have constitutional protections, so you can say something about that. But the reality is I litigated with the federal government for 11 years. I had people try and run me off the road. I was poisoned eight times. You know, I can go on and on and on about how physical force is used. Okay. And the reality is, just like the Chinese regulator said no Bitcoin and suddenly the price is down 40 percent in two weeks, the regulators around the world have no reason to stop any of this stuff. One, they want a prototype because they want a global digital currency. Right. Okay. But two, the other thing is, while they're buying up the land and the gold, they don't want any competition. So if they can get everybody else buying zeros and ones, fabulous. Okay. Yeah, And all, this, all the central banks in the world are running around figuring out how to use this technology, and they need other people to prototype it. So they're perfectly happy if John McAfee is running around to do it. The day they decide they're ready to, you know, throw the master switch, what do you think is going to happen? So in August, okay, so in August, I was uh, – uh, I traveled from Germany down to Basel, Switzerland to do an interview with a wonderful Thomas Meyer. And when the interview was over, I left Thomas's office. I went to the Basel train station to buy a train's ticket over to Zurich where I was going over to Zurich for business meetings. And I bought my ticket at the Swiss Federal Re- – now, between Thomas's office and the railway station, I drove by the Bank of International Settlements. Okay. So I'm less than a mile from the Bank of International Settlements when I'm buying this ticket. So I'm buying my ticket from Basel, Switzerland, to Zurich, Switzerland, arguably the financial capital of the world, some used to say. And I can buy my ticket from the Swiss Federal Railway System with Bitcoin. And not only that, I can top up my Bitcoin wallet and buy more Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Now, wow. If the Bank of International Settlements didn't want that to happen, do you think it would be happening? Right. Right. If the Swiss government didn't want it to be happening, would it be happening? Right. Right. The the fact that this is going on in the United States of America right now has always blown my mind, too. Like, why is it that this is still happening? Why is this even allowed in the United States? 
because they're allowing it because they're trying to figure out how to deal with it. So, so the biggest hunger in America is the desire for local currencies. They're not allowing that. Nope. The biggest hunger is local stock markets. They're not allowing that. Right. Mm -mm. Right. So, so I go back to control as analog. The minute they want to stop anything, they have the power to do it. Mm-hmm. So, so, so local currency and local equity markets are being suppressed by regulation and all sorts of dirty tricks. But this is happening. So, you know, it, it sounds very attractive to frustrated young people when someone like John McAfee says "f Yellen" or "f this person," but the reality is. You know, when you in when you re-engineer the financial system for um, for new t- technology, what you do is you cut out the middlemen. Well, in the BIS system, Yellen is a middleman. She's not the top. Right. So, right. So why did Goldman Sachs just come out and say they want to do a new lending business? Well, because if I can figure out how to make blockchain technology or this kind of database technology scalable, which it's not yet, but if I can get all the smart people to spend their time running around and figuring that out, then what I can do is I can, I can get rid of 8,000 community banks and $5,000, 5,000 community credit unions and consolidate everything down into J.P. Morgan Chase, Citibank, Bank of America, and Goldman Sachs. We, yeah, yeah, yeah. And now, I don't need, need Janet Yellen because they can all run it directly without Janet Yellen. Right now, that brings me back to my original thought on one of the tweets that we got involved with you and I last night. Um, uh-huh. My thought, as I was thinking back to the Ron Paul campaign, everybody was marching around shouting "End the Fed," and I started to think. Was that part of some sort of like pre pre programming to get rid of the Federal Reserve? Because even though the Federal Reserve, it's a business, it's must have put a charter together, they must have had a back out plan. I know I went to school for entrepreneurship and learned how to write business plans and everything else. You always have like a back out plan. And I was thinking, man, maybe it is time that we have to get rid of the Federal Reserve and maybe that whole thing with and the Fed was just getting people ready for things like bitcoin well no because if you if you if you have a political platform of end something without being totally clear of what you're going to replace it with and who not what not what is going to be in control who's going to be control because the most important thing here a financial system is just a subset of a political system you cannot solve a political we have a political problem okay in fact, if you had the right governance structure, you could run the entire monetary policy through the Fed and everything would just be just fine. Okay. So, so the Fed in and of itself is not the problem. So, so we have a political problem because we are run by a governance system, which is invisible and not accountable and is stealing all the money. That is a political problem. Okay. And you cannot solve that political problem by changing the financial system. Because it's not a financial problem, it's a political problem. And you can change the financial system eight ways from Sunday, and if you still have the same power structure controlling it, it will make absolutely no difference. Okay, so why why was everybody screaming in the Fed? I don't know. Uh-huh. I don't know. See, neither do you I now. I, I'm, that's where I am. I'm sitting here going, well, what what was I just involved in? 
Well, I was, I was, I, I was a big, huge broad Paul person, and I was involved with both of campaigns. And I, you know, something. I'm a big, I'm a big wrong Paul fan. And if you look at his latest video, he's saying enforce the Constitution, stop trying to be a global empire and running around and killing everybody. Right. And, you know, stop that. So, you know, where we need to start with is enforce the Constitution. That's that's number one. And then number two, what you need to do is you need to move all cash flows. All taxpayer cash flows and credit flows need to be moved back into into accordance with the appropriation clause. In other words, the money needs to be run legally. So, mm-hmm. so number one, enforce the Constitution, and number two, enforce the appropriation clause. And part of that means enforce the the you know the war clause, which says no wars without congressional approval. So, so pull. You know, this blanket authorization that they created after 9-11, they need to pull. And it was Rand Paul who tried to get the amendment passed to pull that. Right. You know, it didn't pass this time, but we need to get that passed. So so it's basically if you if if we sit down and say our two biggest goals are to enforce the appropriation clause and the war clause of the Constitution and preserve and protect the Constitution, you know, you will make a huge step forward to getting to a situation where we can preserve and protect a human society. Because that's the issue here. The issue here is not do we keep the Fed or not. The issue is are we going to be a human society or an inhuman society? And we have a group of people who have financial mechanisms, and if we let them, they are going to engineer an inhuman society. All right. So right in the Constitution, though, it does say only gold and silver should be used as the basis of our money. And that's something we can do. Right. You know, that is something we can do. Now, the cryptocurrencies we're using are the ultimate non-sovereign fiat currency. Right, right. Right. So so that is something we can do. But the first thing we need to do is we need to have a government that has information sovereignty and financial sovereignty. And that can't happen until we push the, the you know, until we enforce the appropriation and the work clauses. Okay. All right. I'm trying to get my head around all this. All right. So now the other thing. No, 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 no. Here's what you need to hear. Cynthia McKinney and I did two interviews. We've made them public along with the information, the transcripts, the audios are all there. They're on the Solari report. They're open to the public. I'll send you the link. Okay. And what people need to, and, and in there is a section called, that I wrote called how to enforce the constitution. And everybody needs to read that. And they say, what is the one idea here? that I can engage with my legislators on? What is the one idea here I can participate and do? The first thing everybody can do is whatever big private organization, bank, corporation you're involved in, start getting away from them. You know, take your money out of the big banks. Stop buying from, you know, if, if, if you have a Google email address, well, what do you, you know, who do you think is helping these guys do complete surveillance on the American people? So, right, you know, get away from Google, get away from Facebook, get away from any corporation that's behaved. You know, all the contractors running the federal government, all the banks running the federal accounts. You know, there is no government. There's a bunch of banks and defense contractors doing all this. If you work for them, for God's sake, see if you can't find something else to do. You know, yeah, I'm not saying be loud about it but but get yourself away from the people who are doing this yeah and it's hard because it's just such a lifestyle though you know like 
everybody's like, there's not many jobs in Rhode Island where I live that aren't connected to defense in some way and or education, which, of course, is all kind of the same sort of octopus mixed in. Um, Look, it it took me 20 years to generate an income, you know, from something where I could work just for individuals as opposed to a, you know, a corporation or government. Yeah. Yeah. Very shocking for me to have to make the transition. But you know something, and and obviously my annual income, you know, once upon a time my annual income was a million dollars a year, and now it's far less. But mm-hmm. uh, I'm also much freer because I can say and do what I want. I can go where I want. I can think what I want. You know, it, it's a much healthier existence. So the the if if we are going to help destroying America. You know, if, if you and I get up in the morning and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go into the office and make money destroying America and destroying the food supply and destroying the soil and destroying, you know, what do we think is going to happen? Right. What I can do is I can stop doing this. It's exactly what I did. You know, I ended up leaving government and Wall Street and, you know, and I no longer bank at JP Morgan Chase and Citibank, which I used to do, and I no longer buy and deal with many major corporations. You know, and I'm not perfect, and I'm still trying to get out, but, uh, and it's a struggle because the economy keeps centralizing, but what we can each do is not be part of the madness, and that's why I wanted to do this interview with you. Yeah. Um, because, because, what I'm seeing is a lot of great young people who could figure out how we enforce the Constitution and get the $19 trillion that's been stolen. Make no mistake about it. That $19 trillion is your family wealth. Your family, one way or another, whether it's your parents, your aunts and uncles, your kids, that money has been stolen personally, intimately from your family. And, uh, you know, and it's been going, it's the financial coup d'etat. Now, I'm going to send you links, Rachel, to make sure you have the links that you can share with your listeners. Because Good. all of this information is available. It's available in writing. Um, and there's a ton of resources at the Solari Report to help with this. Good. Um, anyway, so so you can you can know what to do. And that's why I'm independent media is to help people see the world clearly and see how the money works and then make their own decision of how they want to contribute right. but and, and how they want to change. But it starts with getting a good map. Do not let any of these shenanigans, you know, trick you or the people you love into wasting your time because you know something you have got to use your time as efficiently as possible in a change like this. And the, the people who have stolen the money and engineered the financial coup d'etat are constantly sending people and disinformation efforts <coughs> to trick you into going off in the wrong direction. Good point. Good point. Right. And that whole that whole disinformation thing that comes back almost to the original thing we were talking about, the entrainment and the disinformation right. thing. This is this is what I think is causing when I listened to that original article or the original interview you did um, on Solari.com with Adam Trombley, he says that the whole entrainment thing is more like a frequency. It's a vibration that it affects right. your cells, like the water in your blood cells. And that you right. were talking about you were going into this QRS thing to try to like, 
Can you talk a little bit about that or even what I'm talking about so people know what, what, what I'm talking right. so, so it's it's a technology that Adam introduced me to, uh, and some people recommend it, some people don't like it, so you need to do diligence it yourself. But what, what it does is it rebalances your electromagnetic field. In fact, I think the thing that I do a form of Qigong called Yuan Gong, uh-huh. which I find so amazingly helpful to rebalance my electromagnetic field. So if I'm in a speech or listening to some kind of show on the internet that has huge amounts of uh, entertainment, afterwards I will go do Qigong to just like cleanse. <laughs> right. And re- rebalance my electromagnetic, you know, it's really cleanse and rebalance your electromagnetic field. So um, I find the QRS helpful, but I really find the, it's called Yuan Gung to be, but you need a process because you keep having uh, electronic experiences, which are polluting or manipulating your electromagnetic field with, and it's also the cell technology. So, yeah. So I find it essential to constantly, uh, cleanse and reground my field. And one of my favorite interviews on the Solari Report, I don't know if you've listened to it yet, was with uh, Bill Tiller. So Bill Tiller was uh, head of material sciences at Stanford, brilliant man. And he was able to raise money to do um, uh, private research on how human intention can change reality uh, including at great distances. And he was able to do- document and prove that it does. And so I was very excited. And I said to him, Oh, Dr. Tiller, you know, I'm very excited about community prayer. What do you think? And he said, well, you have to be very careful because if the people uh, doing the praying are coherent, it helps. If they're incoherent, it makes it worse. Hmm. And that's, that's why entrainment technology to me is so dangerous because if you can, put people in a state of incoherence and get them focused on something which makes you money and is going to kill them, then what you've got is you've got everybody inventing with their consciousness an intention in the future, which is horrible for themselves and those they love. Wow. That's, that's really interesting. Oh, wow. Right. So, so the number one thing you and I can do to help those around us is to stay coherent. <laughs> I'm giving it my best <laughs> shot. I'm giving it my best shot. All right. So you're doing, you're doing a great thing because what you figured out is, you know, I need to get as far away from these guys as possible. Right. And then I need to write great books that will explain to everybody why they need to get away from these guys <laughs> as possible. And that's why when I first discovered you, I was like, I love this woman. <laughs> Good. Well, the feeling is mutual. The feeling is mutual. Believe me, it's mutual. Um, I, so can I, I say more? Go ahead. Please oh, do. We've, we've got about 15, I wanna, 10, 15 minutes. Go ahead. Oh, perfect. I want to put in a plug for Richard Dolan's new series on Gaia TV called False Flags. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. Richard Dolan, I'm, I'm a huge Richard Dolan fan. I always have been. And I get him on the Slayer Report all the time. And Richard Dolan has been trying, you know, he he was one of the leading researchers and scholars on all the hidden system of finance and black budget issues. Not not because he's a money expert, but because he was trying to figure out, you know, underground bases, spaceships, how are they financing all of this stuff? And so Richard and I first backed into each other because I was trying to figure out where the money was disappearing to. And he was trying to figure out how they were financing all this stuff. 
So mm-hmm. he was on the balance, the asset side of the balance sheet. I was on the finance side of the balance sheet. Anyway, Richard has started to try and integrate what he learned in the process of studying that. Basically, the you know looking at the world that's developed underneath the black budget. So he he's been integrating it to basically the power and governance structure on planet Earth. And he decided he would write a book about false flags. Before he published the book, Gaia TV got him to do a series. And you know something, Rachel? It's outstanding. Because most people can't fathom the way control works and how much physical force drives it. And a lot of it is done, you know, if I can do a false flag that that kills two of the chickens, the other 100 chickens will behave. Right. And And it was very interesting because... We had these great luncheons for subscribers in New York uh, two years in a row at the 21 Club, and I got Richard to come and speak. And the second year, the last time we did it was last year, he came in, and he'd been working on the false flag book, and it was the only time I've ever seen him look sort of shaken. And I said, Richard, how are you? And he said, well, you know, this research has kind of got me shook up. And uh, he said, "I I don't know how to explain it to you. And I said, well, I understand exactly. I said, I said, you feel like a chicken who's finally just beginning to be able to conceptualize livestock management, what the farmer's really up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he looked yeah. at me and he said, you know, that's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly it. Yeah. 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 It's, it's hard. It's hard for most people to, and that's why I love the Aaron Rousseau interview. It's hard for most people to understand that the governance structure, whoever is in it, whatever they're doing is, uh, you know, they look at us, uh, the, they, they manage society and they manage, you know, sort of systems, whether it's financial systems or political systems, the way a farmer engages yes. in livestock management. Yeah. Right. yeah. I've thought about right. that a lot because the uh, way, um, old kings and queens used to rule their, their people. They went to special, you know, had special scholars come in to teach them how to rule. And of course, everybody's right. heard the book, The Prince and everything else. But they really did look at this as like their, their farm. The people were kind of their crop or they had to either rule them kindly and or, the, you know, they, there were different ways they could rule them. But this is how they had to think about these people. Right. And that's if you think about it, when people say, oh, the sheeple or whatever, it's to be honest, that's what's going on. Right. Well, they, you know, here we've gone through a period where the feedback to them, you know, you have a cycle of distrust between the yeah. farmer and the chicken. And, <laughs> and, you know, the more, the more afraid the farmer gets and therefore the more centralizing and controlling, the more bizarre and badly the chickens behave, the more the farmer can, be, you know, and part of this, Albert Einstein once said new technology was like, you know, like an axe in the hands of a pathological criminal. Um, You know, so part of it is the technology allows them to get away with things they couldn't dreamed of a hundred years ago. And the more they get away with them, um, the the more they get away with them, the more they disrespect the general population. So, you know, if, if they can persuade young people that it's in their own interests after you know, after they've just stolen all their parents and grandparents' money to tear up the Constitution and give them free reign to buy everything at pennies on the dollar, their attitude is, look, if I can do it and I don't do it, then the guy, you know, who does do it will win and kill me. So right. what else am I 
they're in a prisoner's dilemma. If if the crowd is that easy to trick and roll, then they feel they have to do it. Otherwise, and it's a it's their wet dream. If I can run everything with software and drones and robots and artificial intelligence, you know, then I can get rid of the dangers and problems of managing all of you guys. Yeah. Now, back to this original thing in our very first hour, I'm looking at my notes again. You said there's all private players running this thing. That was your quote. It's all private players running this thing. How do we figure this out? Who are these people running the thing? Not that I want to go and kill them or anything like that. I want to know how to get away from them. And you had mentioned getting away from the military industrial complex, getting out of these big banks, things like that. There's only one pathway through this situation. And that, you know, it's like, it's like a bunch of horses running around in a canyon and there's only one way out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you gotta go through that one way out. Enforce the constitution. You know, the thing that we have, which is the most valuable thing, is, is we have the law provided it to us in the constitution and it's a law that, that preserves and pr- protects individual human rights. It is the basis of a human society. And that's what we have to do. To enforce the Constitution, we have to enforce the money. Because if they can get an infinite amount of money to do whatever they want with impunity outside the law, then we're always going to be dependent. So you have to enforce, you have to enforce the Constitution, not tear it up, and you have to get control of the money. And the can question you, is, how do we do that? Can, can if, you... If, can you have a con-con and amend the Constitution to bring it up to date, or do you want to just stay exactly as it is? You do not need to bring it up to date. Everything you need to do can be done with the Constitution is if you enforce it. A con-con is the way that you tear it up. Right. Okay? I did a great article with Edwin Vieira, a great Solari report, which is, again, we made public with Edwin Vieira, top constitutional scholar in the country, explains if you have a con-con, you will tear it up. So basically you have a whole big effort being made at the state level to persuade everybody, oh, you know something, let's get, let's have a con-con and reinvent everything. You know, that's tear-up plan number one. The second is let's take Bitcoin and blockchain and blow up everything and tear up the Constitution. So it's basically tear up the Constitution you know, to the younger generation or tear up the constitution to the older generation, but it's still the same plan. Tear up the constitution and, and tear up the, where tear up the constitution takes you is the guys who, you know, did the financial coup d'etat get to double their profits and double their power. Right. Right. Oh man. Catherine Austin Fitz, you are so awesome. And I just want to say that I'm a huge fan of yours. I want everybody to go to the solarireport.com, excuse me, solari.com, S-O-L-A-R-I.com. And she, it's the, the website's, you know, free and open to the public, but there's a section of it that you have to be a, a member of it. And it does cost money. Um, if you have extra money and it's interesting to you, it's probably worth the money. Um, and she's always doing interviews with other radio outlets and any time she talks, it's just, it's just, it's just worth it. It's just worth it to listen to her. Rachel, so. one of the things, anytime we have something that's important for people to know to protect their freedoms, we make it public. 
So all the links I'm going to send you are public and, uh, you know, and if there's something you think is critical to help young people get this and, and make sure they protect their rights, let me know and we'll make it public. Cool. All right. That's okay. awesome. Yeah. And you know what else? I got to get you a mug, a shadow citizen mug. I So it could be officially. Yeah. So I think we've got a few more minutes. Is there something like a closing parting words that you want to, I think we've got like maybe five, six minutes that you want to yeah, round so, us all off with. So um, oh, we've got one minute. I, we've got one minute. So I want to make ahead. sure, I want to make sure people can get the interview, the information. I'm going to send you the links okay. to make sure you have the links. And you know, uh, if for some reason somebody can't find the links, just send us a message at customers, uh, service at salary.com. Find it for you. Okay. All right. Right on. Thank you so much, Catherine Austin Fitz. And thank you, audience. See you next week.